you know, people always ask me, well, how do you get started in this, this field and all this kind of stuff, you know, and you, you just got to keep doing it, you know, you just got to keep pitching ideas and your ideas are going to get turned down, you know, and that's okay. You know, you learn something from that experience and you go back and you try again, you know, and each time you get a little bit better. Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Servodio, and you'll be amused to know that I can't stop calling my wife chef after binging season two of The Bear in less than 48 hours. Alas, we won't be discussing the adventures of Carmi Burzato on today's pod. Instead, I'm honored to have Gab Shabran join us. Gab is the associate editor of Food and Culture at LAist. He's a Whittier native and a Long Beach resident, so he offers a diverse and far-reaching perspective on the amazing food one can discover across the Southland. Gob tells us the story of how his dual passions for music and food molded his professional journey and landed him in the driver's seat of one of LA's most respected food newsrooms. Gob's is a story of tenacity, perseverance, and of course, plenty of delicious food. We talk old school pizza parlors, new school burger pop-ups, and of course, what goes into making the perfect mixtape, because what else would you want to learn on a food podcast? Without further ado, let's chow down. Joining us today on the pod is Gab Chabran, LAist Associate Editor of Food and Culture, all the way from Long Beach. How are you doing today, Gab? I'm great, Luca. How are you? Oh, I'm doing awesome. I, uh, you know, we're recording this in the early afternoon, and, you know, you as a food critic, I would imagine have assignments to go out and and eat things are you not a little lethargic after lunch you know this is usually the time when the energy levels definitely start to dip you know uh although that's usually uh with regards to like you know responding to emails and slack messages and what have you so uh i think that you know uh given that we're having this conversation uh just i'm sure that'll keep energy levels up i got some water with me too i've been experimenting with anytime i start to feel that energy level dip you know around this time to just start chugging water i read something on reddit that says that works so so far so good i i got a a little bike ride in today so feeling the oxygen through the veins so yeah yeah that makes sense with the water i think it has to do with uh replenishing your cells you know like your cells like start to shrivel when you're low energy like and i know that this isn't that uh that bro podcast about like you know how to take cold showers in order to revitalize your life but that's a little tip we're getting into some biohacking right now we're gonna do it yeah exactly biohacking let's do it i'm down (laughs) you know a little impromptu biohacking never hurt anybody curious what did you have for lunch Oh, that is a horrible question for me today because it, I've just been busy with work. So I had a uh, a slice of cold pizza out of the fridge just because it's been back-to-back meetings all day. Um, it's from a little spot called Mari's here in Long Beach, which I believe uh, that's M-A-R-R-I uh, apostrophe S. Uh, and I think it's been around for like 57 years. Um Myself and my wow. family, we just visited for the first time. Yeah. 
And they do this really interesting thing. Uh, it's definitely like your more sort of traditional sort of pizzeria, you know, American pizzeria, you know, thicker crust kind of deal. But they do this really interesting thing. And I don't know the uh, the genesis behind it is they put all the toppings on the pizza and then they cover it with cheese, you know. So as opposed huh. to cheese and then toppings. Um, so we were we were really interested in that fact. And um, it's a great little spot that's been there forever. Um, I like going to older spots, you know, especially, uh, dining experiences like that, just to get a, a little window into the past as it were. I think between myself, my wife and my daughter, we got out of there for like 68 bucks, um, wow, or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. And that was with wine and salad and pasta for the kid and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Jeez. Uh, good for can- you. What are we talking here in terms of crust? Are we talking like Baroni's, Casabianca, like that kind of old school Petrillo? Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is I did. We got the antipasti as as our as our side uh, for it, and it was definitely reminiscent of Bianca in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, as as we were discussing over email before, I lived in in Highland Park for a long time, northeast LA, and uh, Casa Bianca is was a, a beloved spot for us. Um, one of my favorite things about Casa Bianca is that like it's open kind of later too as well that I don't think a lot of people know and so like before we had kids like it would just be a great place to like pop in at like like nine o'clock or something like that and nobody would be there the infamous crowds that we're all sort of used to outside of Bianca uh would be gone so it'd be super easy to get a table there and service was really fast and all that kind of stuff so um little pro tip if that's still going on I have a horrible confession, and that is I live in Highland Park, as we were discussing, and um, I have eaten Casabianca pizza many times, takeout. Yeah. I am yet okay. to dine in. I'm yet to dine the, in, though. I, the dining in experience is definitely like a, a good time. I would recommend like going with a group if you can, uh, just because, you know, you could get like a big, long table or one of the circular ones or something like that. Um, and it's just, you know, big on the old timey, you know, pizzeria vibes as far as that goes. Um, yeah. what's your, what's your go-to order at, at Bianca's? There is a right answer. Like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think there is a right answer. So I think the right answer, uh, if, if you're, you know, a Jonathan Gold acolyte in a Loria Choa acolyte, then you got to go, I think with the, uh, eggplant Parmesan and sausage combo. Yeah. And, that's, uh, what, that's the right, whatever answer. you add that's on the right top, answer. Yeah, right. Whatever you add yeah. on top of that is kind of like, you know, gravy. If you want to get freaky with some anchovies or olives, that's fine too. But oh, yeah. you got to have that that eggplant sausage combo. Definitely, definitely. Uh, one of the undisputed LA pizza champions as far as I'm going. If you're going like old school in that respect. That and their antipasto, I think is just a perfect combination, you know. Yeah, dude, did you uh did you attend Pizza City Fest LA? I didn't. No, but I got a lot of PR emails about it though. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But uh, so did you go? I did. It was a cool event. Um Steve Delinsky is a really great guy, the guy who put it the Chicagoan who, you know, came to LA right, and right, showed right. us how good our pizza is, right? Um uh, he's uh he's actually he's a really good guy and uh the event they put together was 
very good. So when Steve was coming to town to sort of try all the pizzas, him and I got connected um, oh, cool. because of my love for pizza. And he hit me up asking me, what places should I try? And, you know, I gave him a bunch of places and he told me, well, I'm actually going to be in your neighborhood trying Casabianca and a couple other spots. Let's meet up. I met up with him right after he went to Casabianca and he was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Not good pizza. Like, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. This is a pizza expert, right? He's a pizza guru. And when Mm -hmm. he was telling me his, you know, reasoning behind it, I think. It makes sense when he's when you're talking about technical execution, the crust is a little bit blonde on the bottom, right? It is a little bit, you know, sometimes closer to pie pie crust than it is to like some of the more, you know, refined pizzerias we have around town these days. But for some reason, that place just has such a hold on the heart of Angelinos, especially here in Northeast LA. That's all true for sure. And, you know, that's what's interesting when you get into the uh, the breakdown of the crust, you know, and that's when like you wonder like how much like regional differences like affect our opinions as far as that goes. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, with, you know, Chicago pizza crust, obviously you got the deep dish, which is like a whole nother thing. But uh, the other thing, as I'm sure, you know, is get is coming more into uh, uh, attention lately is like the the bar the the tavern style pizza or the the bar yeah. pie or whatever and that's a very like crunchy crust too as well you know so and Casabianca is neither one of those things uh in yeah. that respect so I could see maybe how somebody from Chicago I don't know the gentleman but might not be down for something like that uh as far as that goes that tavern style it's being so popularized now thanks to you know the uh the patron saint of trends, uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt. Great respect for him, that, which was a great piece, by the way. We'll link it in the show notes. But um, absolutely, I'm still waiting for really good tavern pie in Los Angeles. Have you had any? I haven't, but did you know, maybe you're aware of this, uh, uh, Michael, who does uh, Comfy Pup, um, he started yeah. doing a, a few different, uh, I think he's popping up out of his house again, uh, doing some versions of it. Um, I haven't had a chance to get down there cause I think it's a very small window, uh, on Friday in Hollywood that you have to sh- sign up to get there. Uh, but I'm super curious. Um, I did, this was a long, long time ago, but Prime Pizza did a collab mm-hmm. with, uh, what's his name? The guy who worked for Roberta's, uh, Anthony Falco. Uh, mm-hmm. He came to town once and was making these, uh, making bar pies uh, at Prime Pizza as part of a pop-up. This was like six or seven years ago. Uh, so, you know, it's not like a, a, anybody can go out and try this right now. But uh, I remember those being really phenomenal. Uh, when I tried that for the first time and I was just, I was following Anthony's work and the fact that he came to town, I was just down to try anything, you know, that, that he had given, you know, he was kind of his involvement with Roberta's, which I was obsessed with, you know, when I first heard about it, uh, as far as that goes. And this was before they came to LA and all that. Right. So I went to Anthony Falco's restaurant in Vegas, super freako. Have you heard of it? Oh, Yes, I have. I, I follow him on Instagram, so I think I remember him uh, posting about it. What was that like? It was weird, man. You, it, weird in a yeah. way like you absolutely have to go next time you're there. They call it okay. psyched, 
psychedelic Italian is what they call it. And, you know, it definitely leans a bit more like these trendy red sauce places, like obviously Carbone, but also like La Dolce Vita that just opened in Beverly Hills, right? Definitely it's in that family of restaurants, but they have like performances that are happening around you all dinner. And mm. it is wild. Like it, you feel like you're in some sort of acid trip and the food is actually pretty decent. So the food and entertainment value, plus they have this whole like table side mozzarella stick, you know, it's Vegas, but it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where is it located uh, in Vegas? I think it's at the Cosmo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause the, I know they've been very uh, receptive to bringing in like a lot of like, outdoor like i think that's was that where uh dave chang had something yeah. at one point or something like that and then i think egg slut w- w- had their location there for a while I- i'm not totally sure if they're still there but um i mean you say i mean psychedelic red sauce so that makes sense for vegas you know i mean <laughs> it does why not just stick to what you're good at you know lean into it you know uh 100%. so no that sounds cool i would totally check that out for sure i'm not a big vegas guy but you know, for something like that, I would definitely check it out. I am a big Vegas guy, but not for like the traditional reasons. It's mostly just to like okay. go and uh, try out restaurants like this. Enough about my yeah. vices. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about where you grew up in LA, Whittier, and uh, yeah. let's start there. So you're you're bred and born Angelino. Well, what what what, what, yeah. what do we call people from Whittier? <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I have referred to him before as Wittiots, but uh, some people took issue <laughs> with that. So I, I, I don't, I don't say it too often. Uh, but uh, I don't know what they would call us uh, per se. But uh, yeah, so uh, I grew up in Whittier. Uh, we moved from. Uh, I have a younger brother. He was born in Louisiana, actually. Uh, but I was born in San Diego. My parents were college professors. So my dad was looking for 10 year track positions, uh, basically. And we ended up in Whittier. Uh, there's a small private liberal arts college, which I attended also, mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, and for those who, uh, aren't familiar with Whittier, it's, uh, kind of, uh, on the border of LA and Orange County. Uh, so it's really interesting place because it's, you know, uh, further east of East LA and places like Montebello and Pico Rivera. And uh, then on the other side, you have the gateway to Orange County, La Habra, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of its own thing or maybe sort of a no man's land in that respect. Uh, it's very historic too. Uh, I think the town was like founded in like the late 1800s or something. Um, there's a small business district that's central to the, uh, downtown area called Uptown. There's a lot of restaurants and, uh, record stores and movie theaters and all that kind of stuff. So if you're like familiar with these small SoCal towns, you know, you'll, it's kind of a main drag area and that's where around where my parents' house was and where I spent a lot of time. That's where I had a lot of my first jobs, both in restaurants and record stores. So you can kind of see where the trend starts there uh, as far as that goes. Um, Big Latino population uh, as well. Uh, I think it's a little over uh, more than, than, than the half the population now, uh, as far as that's concerned. So you're getting, uh, lots of that. Cause I mentioned the relation to East LA, 
there's a lot of folks who come from sort of these working class backgrounds and then move to places like Whittier because, you know, there's uh, it can sort of higher tax brackets and, you know, bigger houses and all that kind of stuff. So um, lots of different things happening there as far as uh, as far as food and culture is concerned, you know, but when you're, you know, a young person growing up, it can feel sort of far removed from lots of stuff too, as well, yeah. which is definitely something that I sort of experienced, you know, and it wasn't until I graduated from high school and, you know, uh, started driving. I was like, get me the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> I need to, I need to go to Hollywood. I need to, you know, uh, start driving to all other places of SoCal to, you know, find out what else is going on because, you know, I'm kind of done with it here. My relationship with it is, is evolved definitely over the years, you know, I'm in my forties now. So, you know, things that you think were kind of bad before, like in your twenties or something like that, you might have a little bit of a, a softened image, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned, uh, Jay Gold, uh, earlier because he actually came to Whittier a bunch of times and wrote about some of the restaurants there and what were his uh, favorites that had so that's a good question I I was just talking about this with somebody recently and they uh actually somebody who's teaching a class in food writing um at the college and they were kind of picking my brain over stuff the two that I remember the most vividly um there was one uh, called, there was this one uh, restaurant, Southeast Asian restaurant called the Golden Triangle. And mm. it was a combination of um, Thai, Burmese, and Laotian food. And it was run mm. by a couple. Um, it is no longer there, unfortunately. Uh, but Jay Gold like, hopped on that uh, as soon as they opened and wrote this really glowing review uh, in the LA Weekly. I think it was like 94, 95 or something like that. So we're going way back. You could still find so the review was, online if you're interested. Um, yeah. So this was LA Weekly because his career was like LA Weekly, LA Times, LA Weekly, LA Times, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, then he was at Gourmet, I think at one point right. uh, for a while there when he was in, uh, I think he went to New York. Uh, he was in New York, which is just crazy to think about uh, working under Ruth Reichel. Uh, That's during that time, and, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, always, they, she. I remember her talking about how he never turned in his stories on time, which I always think is funny. <laughs> uh, so, because you, you probably nobody was ever mad at him for doing that. They're like, "What are yeah. you going to do?" You know. As so, an editor um, yourself, now, do you ever have writers that give you the excuse, "Well, Jay Gold never turned his pieces on in, in on time." <laughs> Not yet, but if probably after they hear this podcast, they they, they probably will throw that at me. Yeah. So I'll be like, "You're welcome. Come you're back. Welcome. With, yeah. LA. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, come back with a Pulitzer, and then maybe we can talk about it. But um, <laughs> so so, but he did this really interesting thing in that review. Uh, like, I, and again, I would encourage other people to talk about it. Is he did this really good job at like summing up the town, you know, and because. Um, MFK Fisher actually was from uh, Whittier as well, you know, no another way. fame. Yeah, yeah. She grew up there and her family's house was there and all that. Um, and so he mentions that. He mentions Richard Nixon, which was also from LA, or from Whittier too. And like he just did this beautiful job at like summing up the town so perfectly, you know. 
And it was like, he was still able, he visited this place and he was still able to kind of like see all the local history, you know, for it, you know, and really kind of contextualize it so beautifully. And that's, that definitely like had an impression on me, you know, even as a young person, because it was like, oh, this is something you can do and you can see, you know, this place for what it is essentially, you know, and it yeah. made, it, it just made all of those feelings that I was describing before being like, kind of like, uh, you know, this is the suburbs, it's boring, all this kind of stuff. It was like, here's this guy that came here and wrote about the town and saw it for all its merits, you know? And, yeah. um, as I grow older, you just, I just start to realize how uh, special and important that is, you know, and, and, and I'd be lying if I didn't, if I wasn't trying to do that in my own writing and my own coverage, you know, uh, as far as that goes. So that was kind of like the, um, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, uh, w when you think of your influences as a food writer, would, would you say yeah. that he's up there? Uh, anyone else, anyone else come to mind? Oh man. I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's definitely up there, but I also feel like that's kind of a cop out for any writer from LA, you know, as far as yeah. that goes, you know, I mean, it's like, of course he is, you know? And I mean, uh, I, for any food I, writer in the, in the United States, honestly, the whole like ethos of going to a place, telling the story, bringing you in the use of the word you and, and all of that sort of like yeah. scene setting. I think that's, that's ubiquitous now and it wasn't before him. And I don't think people, well, I don't think the lay person maybe realizes that. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. And yeah, now, but now you got me thinking like who else is out there, you know, that, that had a, uh, a strong, uh, you know, influence on me as far as that goes, you know, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, I was definitely influenced by, by, by him, but also just like, those alt weeklies of the day at the time, you know, we had LA mm -hmm. weekly, but then uh, I also read OC weekly a lot too, which is yeah. sadly no longer with us either. And they would do these really amazing food lists, you know, that was just like, it was literally just like a running list of like the best things they ate that year or something they did. I think they got to like a hundred. I hope I'm, I'm framing this correctly, but, and I, I think Gustavo Ariano was the, the editor at the time too, as well. And what I, there's this one specific instance that I remember really loving is that he wrote this um, entry about uh, the bean and cheese burritos from Del Taco. And Ooh. just talking about <laughs> just, I mean, I'm, I'm a bean and cheese burrito stand for life, you know? So, Hell yeah. and, no, they're, and they're, they are the pizza margarita of burritos. Like you, you can judge are, any food based on their bean and cheese. That's an excellent, excellent metaphor for sure. Yeah. And so I just remember reading that. I think Gustavo wrote that. And I was just like, this is amazing. You know, like you with food writing, you know, if you can explain yourself well enough, you could do whatever the fuck you want, you know, True. and that that was so empowering to me, you know, at the same time, because, you know, it just kind of blurred the lines of both the high and the low, you know, as it were, you know, and it made it, you know, all that more special, you know, because anybody can hop in the drive through line at Del Taco and experience, you know a similar type of bliss as it were, you know, and 
uh, I just love that. You know, I, I, yeah. I try to embody that in my own coverage and, you know, I, I want everybody to kind of experience, you know, something similar to that. So, so it seems like you had these two dual passions growing up, if I'm characterizing this correctly of food and music and how did you like, I mean, it seems like it's funny because it feels like you actually didn't have to choose in the end between the two. Uh, <laughs> but was there a point when you felt like you had to choose and you went with one over the other? No, I, I don't think I, I don't think I did, you know, I don't think I ever did. And and like you said, maybe I never will either. Um, yeah. so I, it's, it's hard to say exactly kind of where one started and the other one, you know, uh, picked up as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, with the music thing, I was big into like making like mixtapes in high school and what have you, you know, like, and I would get really, really into it, Luca. Like I'm like, it would be like obsessive almost in that respect, <laughs> almost to the point where it was like, I wasn't probably, I, I definitely wasn't paying enough attention in my classes, you know, but if right. I was making a mixtape for a girl or something like that, you know, I would be like, this is my purpose, you know? And right, it was just right. like, it was just the, the language that I really felt, you know, uh, uh, like I felt best suited, you know, that were representative of who I was at the time, you know, Can I ask, and go for do it. Do you think, do you think anybody ever put the thought into your mixtapes that you put in when they were receiving it? Hell they were no. like, Oh, I Hell think, no. I think you picked this because of, you know, X, Y, Z, or he's no. trying to tell me this. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know? And, you know, I still make mixes to this day and I've lessened up a little bit because, okay, again, I'm going to kind of date myself here as far as, you know, uh, making mixtapes are concerned. I'm using analog tapes, you know, I'm recording yeah, wow. CDs onto analog tapes as far as that goes. So we just lost of songs. I know, I know. They're like, what the fuck is this? I thought we were talking <laughs> about food, but um, but the order of the songs were definitely more important because it's, you know, it, you couldn't hit shuffle back in the days, uh, as far right. as that goes. So I would get super, super into the order of the songs where to the point it would almost be like a DJ, you know, you figure out the song that goes into the other in sort of sequential action. Uh, and so that was, you know, that was a big deal to me. You know, I still make mixes today. Like I said, um, I'm a little more lenient, you know, because, you start to realize that the order of songs don't matter as much, you know, to somebody who's just sort of coming to at it casually. Um, so or have a little shuffle. more fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. So the mixes that I try to make these days, uh, like on Spotify and everything, I try to make them so they're, you can shuffle them. So all the songs work no matter which, you know, uh, which direction you're playing them in, I guess. So. Okay, now but, my bucket list is to listen to a Gab Chabran mix on Spotify. See, see what we're dealing oh yeah. with here. I got, you, I got you. I got you. You got a, a spare eight hours, you know? I got you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So Usually, though, what I try to do is I put, a, you know, I, I, I do take into the fact that, you know, you're listening to him in the background. So, you know, um, we, we, rec we recently, my brother was in town from New York, and uh, we, we recently rented a Duffy boat. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, one of those mm -hmm. little drive-it-yourself boats. Oh, highly oh, recommend yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it, yeah, in, yeah. We did it in Long Beach. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's where we did it here too, and um, I made a mix for that. Um, and so it's perfect for just sort of gallivanting around and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. I recently I made a couple of mixes for uh, uh, for our, my wedding, and uh, oh, okay. you know we. I, tried to do it like, you know, for the cocktail hour, like the right vibe. Yeah. And then for the welcome party, this vibe. And then for sitting down to dinner, yeah. I shit you not, I did not notice one single song the entire time. And I don't think anybody <laughs> else did either. And I put, I, I spilled hours and days, honestly, into yeah. those, into those mixes. Yeah. I, I, I feel you on that one. I feel, I, I did something similar for our wedding too, as well. And I think the wedding, you know, there's so much going on. It just goes by in a second as far as that goes. So, yeah. you know, um, but you know, you had to get those creative juices out somehow. At what point do you get into yeah. food? Well, that's the other thing. So food was always kind of there as well. You know, um, as I mentioned before, my parents were college professors and they hung out with a lot of other college professors and we would end up going to a lot of different, um, I guess what we would call them ethnic cuisine spots, you know, uh, in and around the area. Uh, so I was visiting dim sum spots probably at like five years old you know wow. uh and so you know and these were like old school joints where uh the push carts you know and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff you know and getting that uh getting that whole experience um i think i went to an indian restaurant really young too maybe like around eight or nine or something um and you know it was a lot of these experiences that you don't realize in re in retrospect that they were different from say some of your peers at the time. Um, and they just felt normal in that respect. And it wasn't until later, you know, uh, when you start talking to other people, you realize how unique that was in terms of an upbringing uh, as far as that goes. So it, it was mostly casual spots, you know, I mean, they weren't super fancy by any standards, you know, um, but that, you know, you already start to form opinions about things, you know, about what's good, you know, and trying different things. It was, it, it always felt like my parents, even though they never said it in so many words that, um, that, uh, you know, trying to get us out of the comfort zone of trying all these different foods, you know, and what have you. So, um, so yeah, it, it was always kind of a large part in terms of, uh, in terms of, like I said, my upbringing and what have you. And did were, were, did you always have your eyes set on writing in some shape or form, whether it was food writing, music writing? You know, um, not necessarily, you know? I mean, I'll be completely honest. You know, there was definitely a time in my life where like writing wasn't something that came easy to me, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely a craft that uh i've had to hone you know over uh over a time period you know i didn't i wasn't naturally born a writer by any standards you know um i probably have you know every learning disability that you could you know uh list you know uh dyslexia all that stuff i've never been like formally formally diagnosed but i mean 
you know, uh, those are all issues that I had to deal with, you know, as far as school goes, you know, and in school, you know, it's very formalized and, you know, you're meeting certain criteria and all those kinds of things. And so like from a creative perspective that can feel sort of damaging, I guess, in that sense, because it was like, shit, you know, you got all these great ideas, but you know, you're not, you don't always, you know, you can't always express them correctly, uh, in that respect. So, um, it wasn't one of those things. It was one of those things that I kind of dabbled in throughout my life, but it wasn't until well into adulthood did I really start to devote myself to the craft in that respect, you know, and that's really just like, spending a lot of time doing it, you know, and anytime, as you know, that once you start spending a lot of time doing it, you know, that you'll start to see those results, I guess, you know, so I guess it was the passion that really kind of, you know, continued to sort of ignite it in that, in that respect. And was it a passion for the subject matter, like the food and the music that sparked this other passion for the writing, or did you start to develop an organic passion for writing. And then you're like, what do I want to write about? I think it was the underlining passion for culture as a whole, you know? So, I mean, uh, music and food are definitely part of that, but you know, art, film, you know, uh, all of that stuff, you know, literature, reading, all that kind of stuff, you know, always been a big reader, that, that kind of thing. And, um, so it is through all of that, you know, and having a lot of exposure, through all those different, you know, avenues that you just kind of program your brain to start thinking a certain way, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, and the best, uh, the best outlet I found for that was writing, you know, and really, uh, I've always described myself as sort of an ideas man, you know, and in that respect, you know, writing served as the outlet in that respect. And I really, uh, I look for other idea people, you know, people who have great ideas, you know, and are looking to kind of, um, apply them in different ways, you know, and food's a great example of that. So is music, you know, any sort of creative expression as it were, uh, I think always sort of presents interesting results and thereby, you know, you can, you know, write something cool about it, you know, or provide yeah. some cool coverage as far as that goes. What did you first start writing about in the big world of culture? Well, that's a good question. I guess music came first, you know, because uh, I started writing for a publication called LA Record, and mm-hmm. which is, I believe, still around. And I was writing concert reviews and uh, I was, this was kind of when I, uh, when I moved to LA to, so I could get kind of closer to the action as it were, as I thought at the time. Um, And I knew the editor and basically I would, they was like, you can sign up to cover a show and they get you into the show for free. And then you write, you know, a hundred words on it. And I was just like, are you kidding? Like, this is great. You know, <laughs> like this is all I've ever wanted to do. You know, like I, I get, you know, it felt, it felt sort of exclusive, you know, to be honest with you, you know, the, the fact that 100%. I could, you know, you know, I could get on a guest list, you know, and, you know, cover a show. Um, all the, uh, all the plebs are waiting in line and you show up with like your, Hey, my name's on the list. 
Right, right, exactly, exactly, yeah. And the other thing I forgot to point out too as well, I worked at a record store in between uh, or during high school and college. And so um, I was already starting to like uh, rub elbows with like industry folks, uh, you know, like record label people and, you know, getting into shows that way and all that kind of stuff. And so it was really like between that and starting to write about the shows, um that I really felt uh, a knack for it, you know, in that respect. And it was also during the time where I was trying to take in as much music as possible, you know, um, and just learn about all the different types of music, you know, that were coming to town uh, as well, uh, which made for a great experience. What, uh, what kind of concerts were you going to? I graduated high school in 2001, you know, so what I was, I mean, we were looking at a lot of like, uh, like, I guess I would like blog house. I I don't know. Are you familiar with this term blog house? As far as that goes, give me, give me an example. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, there, there's a few different ways to explain it, but it's kind of like, so indie rock is, is definitely like a place card, you know, in the conversation, there was also like this period of like dance punk or like post punk slash dance punk. Yeah. So it, it's like, so th- there was some of that going on as well. This is like when bands like, you know, uh, the rapture and like LCD sound system and all the DFA stuff was right. like coming really into a uh, uh, heavy rotation. And then if you're an LA head, there was this band called the moving units uh, who I think still sometimes play shows also as well. They were really into like the post-punk sound um, as well. And there was also like this, as a result, like dipping into uh, this area of electronic music too, as well. And like, you have like electro clash and then that travels into like things like, you know, Kid Cudi songs getting remixed by like, justice and all that kind of stuff like that was very like much my era there's actually a really good book about this um written by lena abascale and uh i have to give lena a shout out because uh she just wrote a piece for us on supper clubs and um uh she has this book called never be alone again how blog house united the internet um and uh uh it's it really kind of captures you know that moment in time which i feel like is kind of a little bit forgotten these days um but at the time was like super important to me and my friends uh as it were you know and i mean this is also the same time as like the strokes and all of that too as well right. so we're all wearing that's who's coming you know, to my head in terms yeah, of like yeah, that. when you yeah. said 2001 i was like who who was right. like huge in 2001 yeah. right yeah yeah so um it's a lot of that you know and that's when we were i was driving out to hollywood a lot from you know whittier and you know trying you know going to amoeba going through all the used cd racks you know buying the promo cds for half the price of the new ones you know and that kind of stuff going to places like the knitting factory there was a knitting factory location in hollywood which is no longer there uh, that I spent a shitload of time at back in the day, um, which was super crazy, um, given that it was just a random location for a concert venue, but saw a lot of good shows there. So, wow. 
And so that was your so that that was your first technically quote unquote paid gig as a writer because your 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 remuneration actually it was, wasn't even paid it wasn't even paid you know my payment was I got into the shows Luca you know right. that was like yeah. this is what you get for that so um, but that was like my first those were my first bylines you know uh, yeah. as yeah. it were so I was just I'm sure they thought of tickets as remuneration in their day and were you like I can actually make a living off of this. So that didn't probably come later until I started writing for LA Taco. So uh, I reached out to Javier, uh, Javier Cabral, uh, uh, editor of LA Taco, um, who's since become a good friend of mine and is now also a fellow uh, resident of Long Beach here. Um, and I'm dying. I was going to say, I feel like there's like a little Long Beach mafia happening down there, but, and I, I'm dying to read his book, uh, the Asada book. That thing looks incredible. Yeah. 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 I was just flipping through a copy of it yesterday. It's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful book. Um, yeah, I, I haven't bought a copy yet, but, uh, um, if it's anything like Oaxaca, um, uh, I'm sure it, it has some super great stuff in there. Um, so I reached out to Javier and we got to know each other, you know, and had a couple beers and just started to, you know, hit it off. And he, at the time he was, he started to work for Munchies as the West Coast editor. So Munchies, an, the, the food, the online food publication arm of Vice at the time, mm-hmm. uh, he became the West Coast food editor at, at, as well. And, um, he encouraged me to start pitching there. Um, so I ended up pitching a story, um, that was too overly ambitious, you know, uh, for, uh, for the, for, for me to get it all done. Um, so I didn't end up getting published, but my dad, so I mentioned he's a college professor. He is, he travels a lot back and forth to Spain. Uh, he does a lot mm-hmm. of like scholarly work there and all that kind of stuff. And I was there at the time visiting and uh, I noticed that craft beer was like popping off at the time, you know? So this was kind of like post, like when craft beer started to pop off here uh, in the States, you know, but in Spain, it was kind of like this, new and exciting thing and the pitch was regards to craft beers popping off despite that the spanish economy a spanish economy had just gone through some like really terrible shit so i was trying to paint this piece about uh spanish beer culture in light of the economy and but the problem was i was only there for like you know, two weeks. And then I tried to write the article once I came back and it was a fucking mess, like trying to, <laughs> you know, communicate with the folks back and forth, you know, through email time, time changes, all that kind of stuff. So it didn't actually end up happening, but, um, uh, but I learned a lot from that experience um, yeah. as far as that goes. And later on down the line, uh, I started to, uh, Javier was guest editing, I think at the time, uh, with LA taco, uh, and he was filling in for Daniel Hernandez, 
who mm-hmm. is now one of the editors with LA Times under the food section. So they were kind of like dual editing. And since I knew Javier, I was able to kind of get in there and start pitching ideas. I think the first story that I did for them, uh, you'll appreciate this. It was a breakfast burrito list uh, along York Boulevard. So I wrote about all the oh, different nice. breakfast burritos on York. Yeah. We're talking um, about Hugo's, uh, Delia's, <laughs> what are we talking about? Delia's, yeah. Uh, I think I had Troy Burger on there. Are you, are, oh, no is, way. Is, is, yeah, Troy Burger. Pennies. I had pennies, pennies on yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think I cheated a little bit and wrote about Pete's Blue Chip up on Colorado and Eagle Rock, too, as well, because <laughs> I was obsessed with that one for a while. So um, I'm trying to think. I think, oh, I think I wrote about Highland Cafe, too. I don't know if that place oh, is yeah, still there. Oh, yeah, they've got one. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, still yeah, popping. Yeah. yeah, the the chilaquiles breakfast burrito um, is the one that I wrote about. Uh, yeah, so it was so I did that. Um, I just started writing lists, you know, basically, and it was like I was never the type of writer that was like, oh, I'm I'm above a list, you know, because it feels yeah. like sometimes in food journalism, people are like, oh, I only write these long form pieces, you know, and all of that, and to me, I, I never gave a fuck. I'm like, you know what? If you need me to write a list, I'll write a fucking list, you know? Um, <laughs> and I, I, it was fun for me, you know? I mean, there are a lot of work, you know? Uh, especially totally. when you start to get in like the double digits of these lists, you know, uh, as far as that goes. But um, um, well, also, it's if you a- want to do it right, lists are like, uh, lists are a dicey game too, because when you're putting them out into the world, there's, always by definition people who are going to be excluded and people who are going to be pissed off so you really need to like you and that that doesn't happen with a regular review because if you're not reviewing a place that they might just hang on to the fact of oh it's that restaurant's time now my time may come but if you're doing the best breakfast burritos and their motherfucking breakfast burrito isn't on it that's like an indictment in and of itself this is something I would imagine that you can speak from experience, given uh, given your lists as far as that goes, and and I, and your lists are ex- super extensive uh, as far as that goes, and I'm I'm sure you still hear it from people. I don't know what you're talking about. All the sandwich makers of Los Angeles <laughs> are incredibly gracious people. Well, I mean, no, not even you know, not even the sandwich makers. I'm sure just the sandwich consumers themselves, you know. Oh my god, uh, the well, consumers are worse than the. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the consumers that are worse than the makers. People take these like tribal allegiances uh, to their local yeah. sandwiches, pizzas, tacos. Um, yeah, that's why at first I never did like the best of lists, but I started last year with tacos, and let me tell you. I, I'm not going to say it was a mistake because I stand by by my list, but uh, certainly it was a way to to set some TikTok threads on fire. Yeah, it was a learning experience. I'm sure you know. I like yeah. I like how, I like how you 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 started with tacos. You know, you just went for the you know you went Jugular. dove in yeah. the deep end as far as that goes. Yeah, no, yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. And shout out to your good work too, man. Uh, I, I really enjoy your content on TikTok and, and all that kind of stuff. And you do a really great job at packaging it nicely. And and I think you're doing a good service out there. So um, thanks. Uh, big you fan. Can come back to, you can come back to this podcast anytime. <laughs> all right, cool. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, um, uh, yeah. So we're at, we're at so, yeah. LA Taco list. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So gradually, uh, so for breakfast burritos, I started to do pizza. And then it was just like coming into like different types of pizza. And then what I was trying to do with like some of these pizza lists that I was doing for LA Taco was I started to... um, I started to look for places where you could find like uh, regional ethnic specialties, but like on pizzas, you know, and or find something interesting, unique about them, you know. And I mean, these were by any means like super hot places by any standards, you know, Um, like Thai curry pizza in in your hood. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even but even less so than that too there's a spot in altadena what the fuck's it called um 780 it's not 786 degrees is it no 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 it's um it's oh it's it's called prince of venice yeah pizza venice pizza venice yeah 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 and they they do like these shout out to Pizza Venice. Apologize for not remembering the name off the top of my head. It's been a minute. Um, but if you ever get a chance, I, I don't know if you've been out there, but um, they do these really beautiful like crispy pies, you know. And it's just like weird, you know. Uh, like they're People just like having fun with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do a lot yeah, of, yeah. And this was like this was like you know five or six years before you know the salad pizza was a concept, you know, and occasionally they would like smoke some ribs, you know, that you could get. And then even back in the day at that point, um, it was BYOB and there was a liquor store like in the strip mall. And we would just Mm -hmm. go and like buy like tall cans and just like eat pizza in the parking lot. And, you know, underneath, you know, the, the, the sunset against, you know, the, the uh the sierra madres you know it's just like yeah. fuck you know like this is this is what it's all about like why wouldn't Life you was good. you know it, yeah it, it but it it felt like a poetic experience you know it's like yeah you know you could find this like beauty in you know this simple simple experience you know and it would just you know it felt right you know and it felt like it was worth capturing and talking about you know and so Absolutely. i could do that in a couple paragraphs, you know, for a list. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what it's all about, you know? So I was able to really kind of take the ball with it and run. And that made a huge difference. And so after a while, I'm just like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to kind of keep pitching, you know, uh, any, you know, like, cause how do you stay in the game? You know, you, you just keep practicing, you know? And yeah. It, that was it for me you know it was like a form of like strength conditioning you know um mm-hmm. as it were here we go back to the uh the biohacking you know, <laughs> but um we, but like it was literally just like do it over and over and over and over again you know and keep you know pitching ideas you know and and you know people always ask me, well, how do you get started in this, this field and all this kind of stuff, you know, and you, you just got to keep doing it, you know, you just got to keep pitching ideas and your ideas are going to get turned down, you know, and that's okay. You know, you learn something from that experience and you go back and you try again, you know, and each time you get a little bit better, uh, in that, in that respect. So Sorry, I thought I would just throw that in there uh, for anybody who's curious. Honestly, so that's no, that's great advice. I think especially 
in this field, which is such a difficult field to break into, a lot of people look at it and are like, oh, well, it's impossible. There's no way to get in. But also on the flip side, we have more tools available to us than ever before to actually just go out and do the damn writing or do the damn you know posting or podcasting, whatever it is. And so I think that's great advice. Just get out there and do it, you know? And then if you if it's meant to be, it'll it'll turn into something. And if not, you're still doing what you love, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't love it, then it's not for you, you know? Yeah. Uh in that respect, you know? Uh and that's a surefire way to find out uh in that respect. Yeah. So um yeah. yeah. Let me ask you about LAist. So now you've you've made the move over to LAist. Um Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So after I started pitching to LA Taco, then I started thinking, okay, how am I going to start to branch out? You know, because uh, LA Taco is great and all that. Love LA Taco, love everything they do. But like, if I want to make a name for myself, I really want to start getting out there more, you know? And LAist was one of the first places after LA Taco that I started pitching to you know? Hmm. Um, and so I was actually a freelance contributor, uh, to LAist for a while. And in addition to LAist, then I started pitching to Thrillist. I started pitching to Eater LA. Uh, and that just, it just kept turning into different opportunities as far as that goes. So the freelance career from start to finish lasted about five years, roughly. Okay. Yeah. I was still, working a full-time job at a nonprofit at the time too, as well, because I needed to pay bills, obviously. Yeah. 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 So I was essentially doing two jobs, Luca. So like we're talking, I would work a full eight hour day and then I would come home and write for another two or three hours. And then weekends would usually be devoted to doing that shit, either, either scouting or writing, uh, on the weekends too, as well. And and to be clear, you know what you are, you're, Successfully married as well. This is like, you know, <laughs> this is all through the, throughout the course of, of us getting married, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, oh my it was God. roughly yeah, around, right. around that time. When we talk about it in retrospect, it f- sounds like a lot, you know, but yeah. as I was doing it, I was, I was happy. I was like, this is what I should be doing. You know, there was never a doubt in my mind, you know, that I'm like, I should stop this, you know? <laughs> Like, like I really enjoy doing this, you know? So I just thought to myself, you know, so just, and I I was always compelled to keep going uh, as far as that goes, you know, there was never a moment where I was like, this is too much or anything like that, you know? So I I somehow trained my brain, you know, just to kind of work it and, 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 and do as much as I could as, as far as that goes. I don't know if I recommend that to everybody, you know, I mean, this is just kind of who I am and how my brain works. Everybody's path's a little bit different, you know, but that's just what worked for me at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I could do that right now, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, but at the time, you know, I had enough sort of, you know, energy in me to kind of keep that going. So but the the goal was always to build enough work, you know, that I could refer back to, you know, uh, oh, a portfolio, yeah, in, uh, in that respect. 
Exactly. Exactly. Now what that portfolio was, I don't know. You know, I didn't really have like an end game per se, but like, I'm just like, I'm just going to keep doing this, you know, because it feels right in that sense. So I ended up doing, uh, so I was networking with different people had given the fact that I was working through all these different publications. And then at one point, uh, somebody who I met through, uh, LA taco, uh, another guy, uh, by the name of Eric Galindo, uh, Eric Galindo, he's a podcaster, he's a writer, he's a journalist. Uh, he's also a really good friend of mine. Um, he, uh, hit me up one day and was like, Hey, um, are you interested in, uh, doing something for the New York times? And I was like, uh, yeah, like, what is it? And basically what it was is, uh, and this wasn't actually that long ago. Um, what it was is to go, it was for the style section of the New York times. And it was to go to the LA, uh, Coliseum when, uh, Kanye and Drake were doing a, uh, a performance together and it was for uh it was supposed to be like a fundraiser for uh this guy named larry hoover who they felt uh was put in jail uh unjustly and oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. merch line and all this kind of stuff yeah and so what my job was is i had to go out there and interview all the fans outside and Mm -hmm. um uh talk to them about their clothes and you know just get some biographic information and all that kind of stuff um, that was a really weird experience, you know, for a lot of reasons. Cause first of all, I'm outside with a photographer, uh, this guy named Carlos Jaramillo, uh, who's a great photographer, by the way, shout out to Carlos, check out his Instagram. He does really good work. Um, and we were taking photos of all these fans and I was like, hi, I'm from the New York times. And I was just like, this feels so fucking weird. And <laughs> I was talking to all these kids, you know, you know, dripped head to toe and like, you know ski masks and you know and they could care what are less, you wearing you know i i don't know i think i was wearing like a plaid shirt you know some jeans yeah, and some yeah. hokas you know something <laughs> maybe a you bomber were, jacket you know <laughs> part in the term you were a little they may have described you as chuggy yeah definitely definitely no I, I'll, I'll wear my chuggy badge uh proudly <laughs> uh as far as that goes so um, so I ended up getting the byline section in the, uh, or I ended up getting the byline for the style section, uh, in the New York times of the digital, uh, uh, only story. Uh, but I had to write the thing in one night, basically wow. the concert was the night before I stayed up until 3am writing it. And, um, and then it ran like the, the following afternoon or something like that. So it was a really crazy uh, experience, but I kind of knew that once I did this, that like this, something's going to change, you know, as yeah, far as that I goes. Mean, um, it's the major. I mean, the, all, right. all love for like LA Taco and Eater who do sure. such important work, but you know, doesn't get any bigger than the New York Times. Right, right. And so I was like, as long as I do this, you know, um, then you know, some doors are going to open. No. And I didn't know what those doors were by any standards, but I was just like, we're just going to do this, you know? So again, at no point when I'm staying up until 3am, you know, typing this thing out, you know, was I like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I'm just like, no, we're doing this. I was determined, you know, um, there's this crazy amount of drive that I felt. So, um, so I did that and got the byline and then, that was kind of like in 
December or something like that. And then the fall, the next year, then I got the call that they were looking for a food editor for LAist. And so I started that process uh, to, to get yeah. in. So, and it was a long process too, as well, you know, multiple interviews and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. So that's kind of and when, where I ended and when up the where call I am right came, now. When the call came, mm-hmm. were you like, this is it. This is the invitation I've been waiting for, you know, all that drive. It could be paying yeah. off right now. Yeah, definitely. Cause it was just like, I had been working so hard at that point, you know, and like COVID and all of that stuff was going on at the time as well. You know, we were kind of like just coming off of like peak COVID stuff, you know, so the, the world felt really strange, you know, and like so much had changed, you know, and I think that that's also when I realized like, um, I was, like I mentioned, I was working that, that full-time nonprofit job where I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm kind of done with this. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done pretending, I guess, is, is the way that I would mm-hmm. think about it as, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so what, so when the offer came down, I was like, okay, this is it. You know, this is, this is what we've been working for. So. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's really, it's a really cool story. I, you know, you hear a lot of people be like, um, oh, you know, I just fell into this or I just, this door led to this door and this led door led to this door. But it's cool to hear your story of like tenacity, frankly, and, and just keeping at it and doing something out of love. Um, and it, you know, resulting in a change that sounds like has, has worked out for you. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel very fortunate, you know, and part of my job with LAS now is that um, I also edit a lot of the freelance content as well. And so that's, uh, I feel like is an opportunity to kind of give back to the community that I was sort of born from in that respect. And I get to work with a lot of great uh, writers themselves, you know, and so um, uh, I, I take it very seriously in that respect. That's dope. Well, that brings me to the thing I've been wanting to ask about LAist and sort of how you approach covering LA's wild, expansive food seed. I mean, obviously, you are one of a few players. You know, there's the infatuation, there's Eater, there's the LA Times, and everybody's trying to do something to stand out. I mean, the LA Times just recently went through a massive, you know, rebrand and, um, you know, kind of infatuation of their website a little bit. And, mm. uh, you know, how do you think about your remit and what makes LAist unique? Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's a excellent question. So I have this, uh, mission statement up on LAist under my bio and the first sentence, uh, of the, the mission statement I feel like pretty much encapsulates what I'm trying to say. And in it, I say my approach to the coverage discover how food connects us to the ever so layer social fabric of Southern California and how food tells the region's story. So for this past year, since I've been in this position, that's really been the impetus of my coverage. Um, I try really hard to distinguish everything that we do, both from stuff that I write to our 
Um, our freelance coverage too, as well. I guess like, I'm not trying to cover, you know, the majority of what's being covered, you know, um, I'm really trying to do this thing where I'm trying to go to places that aren't necessarily thought of a lot, you know, in that respect, because that's essentially what I came from, you know, that's the coverage that I'm used to, to doing myself, you know, um, you know, restaurant openings we've done a few you know here and there and that's great you know uh we did uh, a really a freelancer uh by the name of Virali Dave uh she's currently uh an interim assistant director at Eater before she was doing that she wrote a really great piece for Piaggi Palace uh when they first opened she's Indian American obviously the owner of Piaggi is Indian American too as well so i thought this is a good combination right there for these folks to kind of, you know, bond and talk about their culture and like what it means uh, to Los Angeles and, and all of that, as far as that goes. So, you know, and those yeah. I'll make certain uh, uh, exceptions for something, you know, where the stars kind of aligned like that, but, you know, I didn't cover, you know, the opening of mother wolf, you know, I didn't cover, you know, Good. the, um, the, uh, the, um, the breakdown of horses, you know, that's been happening these past couple months as far as that goes, you know, all that stuff's been covered, you know? So like, what's the point of me doing that? I guess, you know, in that respect, Then it really just becomes like a rat race for clicks because you're all trying to do the same thing and and who can do it, you know, a little bit more sensationally than the others as well. It can lead to some pretty bad outcomes. Right. Right. You know, and I don't know, you know, actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, I wanted to mention the horses thing to you to just get your opinion on this. Um, and, and not that I've discussed this publicly anywhere else or anything like that, but did you feel like with the horses stuff that like, it felt like New York people were more concerned with it than LA folks. What are your thoughts on that? hundred percent. I think all of the, <laughs> like 80% of the attention probably was coming from people outside of Los Angeles who were just thought the story was sexy, right? When you actually look at the details, yeah, there are some things that are, you know, weird and quirky about it. But I don't know about you, but I feel like the, those kinds of issues are rampant in the industry in terms of like abuse and abuse in the workplace. And just because this one had happened to happen at one of the hottest restaurants in LA right now, which probably coincidentally, not coincidentally, is a place that when a lot of New Yorkers come to LA, it's one of the first places they go because it's like the hottest on Instagram, right? Um, Right. But yeah, it was just kind of like much ado about nothing. Like without the cat detail, I'm not sure that that would have been as sensational, right? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. And I think the fact that they were going to open up a restaurant in New York probably had something to do with it too as well. But it just felt like there was like a large population of like New York folks concerned over something that was happening here, which, you know, God bless you guys. But I think we're all doing fine, you know, with or without it. So, And I mean, we could have a whole, I think we're going to need to have a follow-up podcast on New York's coverage of Los Angeles in general, because you know, nothing oh, I yeah. love more than New York Times pieces on our food scene. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. No, you could definitely do a whole special episode on that. Sorry, that that was just yeah. something that I had on my uh, list that I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on, given I know that you're, you know. Uh, yeah. 
It's funny though, because I actually we didn't discuss it either on the podcast because of that reason. We were just like, you know, we could talk about this for like two minutes and get into the sultry details and make some cat puns, but like ultimately, like it feels like a little bit preying on other people's pain, and ultimately, it's not not really emblematic of what matters on LA's food scene. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think it was really representative of the food scene as a whole. You know, it's kind of this one sort of little detail that you know happened um that affects you know all the people that go there but i don't know if it's necessarily indicative of how people eat in la i guess so yeah but yeah so you know that's kind of what so that's part of the coverage and you know if we can to maybe talk about you know the work that i do cheap fast eats you know that's part of what I'm working on with that too, as well. You know, I really try to capture, you know, I try to go into these neighborhoods and talk about different places, you know, and really try to show love for some of the cooks and chefs, you know, that are behind the counter and doing, you know, interesting and delicious things, you know? Um, and there's so much out there, you know, there's so much out there that, uh, that, uh, that that's, uncovered you know uh in that respect and i think it's and i'm sure that you don't know real quick cheap fast eats is a great series that laist has done basically going neighborhood by neighborhood right showcasing yeah yeah. exactly what the title says right cheap fast eats yeah um and you've done yeah but you've recently did silver lake um, mm-hmm. you've been all yeah, over I'm working on Inglewood right now, uh, working on Inglewood. That's the next one that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Culver city, downtown Pasadena, Glendale, um, long beach. Uh, so trying to just kind of cover it, uh, geographically. Uh, I think, uh, Inglewood will be the eighth one. So, uh, so soon in, I think by August, if we keep it up, we'll hit about 50 spots. And wow. so the general impetus is um, we're trying to showcase spots that uh, you can get a meal, uh, you know, a meal for around 10 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it might be under, sometimes it'll be uh, slightly over, but we try to keep it around there. So um, it's great too, because you're kind uh, of meeting people where they are. I mean, with inflation, the economy, a little bit of uncertainty on that. Uh, yeah. It seems like a useful guide for people to have. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. And it's also, if, you know, you're in these areas, you know, for the first time and you're looking to kind of get to know the community better, uh, that, you know, this is to try to serve as a guide, you know, uh, like with the Inglewood stuff, you know, we all, we've all been to the forum or, you know, or Hollywood park, you know, and that kind of stuff. But how much time do we actually spend in these communities, you know, and uh, get to know them a little bit more instead of paying for a $25 hot dog, you know, and, and a $16 beer that's filled to the brim that you spill immediately, you know, Um, (laughs) don't get me started. I mean, yeah, I mean, all that's great, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm right there for all that too, but like, is it? there's so much other stuff, you know, out there. Well, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is no knocks if you do, if that's what you want to do, you know, right, uh, right, right. you know, yeah. if, if that's if how that's, you want to spend if, your money, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But if you want to support a small independent business with deep ties to the community and is representative of, you know, the folks that live there, then yeah, that's what we're trying to do with Cheap Fast Eats. So I'm sure sure you've already been in Inglewood, but have you are, are, have you been to Carnitas del Artista? You know what? I just sat down with Gustavo earlier this week and we had a really nice oh, little nice. conversation. So yeah. Uh, yeah, Gustavo is a total homie. And um, we we had kind of known each other through passing a little bit, um, but uh, this is the first time we kind of like sat down and broke bread, and he laid the whole thing out for me. I got his whole life story. So that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, I don't know if folks know this. You know, in addition to Carnitas El Artista, El Artista, but um, it's excellent Mexican food in Inglewood. You know, um, some yeah. really great trucks and puestos. Uh, in addition to, you, you know, um, the uh, the amount of uh, uh, black cuisine that's there too, as well. So, yeah. I mean, huge, huge, uh, really great diversity out there that I uh, I recommend. So, I mean, an Inglewood food crawl between like you know, Doolin's, Coney Seafood, Carnitas del Artista, you can have some fun. Yeah, yeah, and then don't forget like the surrounding areas too. You know, if you right. want to. We're not covering this spot, but um, uh, what is it? 106 Underground in Lenox. Are you familiar oh, with yeah. that spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you, where you, uh, you go into his backyard and enjoy right. some like some truly delicious mariscos. You know, platters of delicious mariscos. You know, is is an amazing yeah. experience. You know, uh, it's so comfortable and welcoming. You know. And you get to watch, you know, the the Jets land, you know, as they come down from uh, to touchdown at LAX. You know, I mean, that's a quintessential Southern California experience as far as I'm concerned. You know, enjoying bomb-ass mariscos, you know, in a backyard, you know, while the planes from LAX yeah. touchdown. I don't know. I think you can't that, beat it. So Put that on a postcard. Honestly, New York Times, come right yeah. about that. Uh, or I'm sorry, just New York media in general. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, – well, hey, I've kept you way longer than we had initially scheduled for. I wanted to finish with a quick challenge for you, which is, can you come up with a quick on-the-fly list of cheap fast eats in Beverly Hills, where I feel oh, like the populace, is, the populace is really screaming out for cheap fast eats, you know? Are they? Yeah. I don't know. That's a That's a hard question because it's not an area that I'm super familiar with uh, as far as that goes. Um I would probably like cheat and like venture into like West Hollywood or something like that. Uh, yeah. As far yeah. as that goes. Um, I mean, aren't there some like good delis out there in like diner delis? Yeah. As far like as these that goes. Days, the deli sandwich is going to run you like 25 bucks. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I find that the best, you know, uh, method is to stick with sort of a lunch special you know that's mm. when you're going to kind of get the most bang for your buck you know and that's really aided me well you know in the quest for cheap fast eats out there uh as far as that goes would you say that's true in in your sandwich research uh it, that the, the lunch specials is the way to go yeah 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 yeah. in terms of like keeping like your your price point down definitely I think definitely if I'm going to a spot like a Nate Nows or a Langer's or something like that. Yeah. I think, I think the challenge mm -hmm. with me is most of my spots are lunch spots. So, uh, they don't have, uh, that's true. 
that much variation. But you know, a sandwich crawl is a great way to uh, do some cheap fast eats. There's actually a couple new sandwich places I've been meaning to check out in Beverly Hills. They're gonna go above ten bucks, but Lorenzo and Il Tramazzino, which is a little older, I think. But um, okay. if I were looking for lunch special sandwiches in Beverly Hills, I think that's about as close to ten bucks as I could get, man. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's true. And I don't think you see any like you don't see a lot of street food out in Beverly Hills, right? There's there's probably some like ordinances against that or something. Yeah, <laughs> knowing the area no. as, as far as that goes. So not unless you just count people walking around with their Alfred matchas, then no, there's no street food. <laughs> Do you know where Next, you might find some luck though is the southern edge of Beverly Hills where it kind of like starts to venture into like Beverly Wood territory. Um, okay. I'm not like if I were to look for cheap fast eats, that's where I would look probably like, and again, it's probably cheating a little bit. It's probably not exactly what people think of as Beverly Hills, but that's, that would be my, where my money goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. I think, you know, as long as you're operating within a radius, you know, that's, that's my rule of thumb. Also something you just said to Sometimes when you hit the older spots, you know, sometimes that's mm-hmm. a lot of the times where you can find the deals uh, also, too, um, which I always try to hit up the older spots because I feel like you get a really good sense of where you're at uh, when it comes to places yeah. like that. So it's true. Got to start with the old. great way to do it is sometimes start with the older spots, work your way to the new. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I have this, I had this conversation with, uh, he, uh, he runs a pop-up and he's also a good friend of mine, uh, Jairo Boragin of Hamburgers Nice. Uh, it's a pop-up out here in Long Beach. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to try it, I would recommend it, but him and I, we have some, we have some great conversations over beer about just sort of the state of food. And I think I told him at one point that I didn't want to go to cool places anymore. I just wanted to go to like, <laughs> unhip places you know and uh i think that's probably a little bit of what i'm trying to do with cheap fast eats so. uh, you're in the wrong place though i think a lot of cool stuff is coming to long beach right now man it's true it's true yeah yeah we're getting a window now i don't know if you heard that uh yeah, I, so that, that that's, means you, that's, that's pretty that's, exciting that's late stage capitalism you made it it's true it's true yeah 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 well i'll, uh, I'll be no, there shout I'll out be to there. window i like i like window um nothing against them <laughs> Gob, thank you so much for giving so much time to this humble podcast. Any last final thoughts? Anything thing you want to plug before you uh, before I unceremoniously kick you off? Yeah, um, just you know, check us out on Laist, uh, Laist slash Food or Laist slash Cheap Fast Eats. You can find us both. I'm on Instagram. Uh, shoot me a DM if you have any tips or just want to talk about you know, food or music, super down. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll put all those links in the show notes. So dear listeners, if you're looking to get in touch with Gob or send any tips in, that's the place to look. Well, Gob, thanks so much for for coming on. And thanks again for the Long Beach uh, tips. Can't wait to go check them out. Definitely, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. Thanks to our guest, Gab Shabran. If you like what you heard, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review, subscribe if you should be so inclined. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U. 
N-T-D-O-W-N. You can also find me on Instagram at LA Food Pod. That's L-A-F-O-O-D-P-O-D.